go ahead and get started, family. Good to see everybody. Almost 4th of July, right? I have to keep reminding myself, when it's in the middle of the week like that, I'm just, I don't think like that. So, so we get a day off tomorrow. It'll be nice. And then hopefully, if you can, come back tomorrow evening, hang out with us in the parking lot, bring some ice cream or whatever, and we're just going to have a good time. And we'll have some tables set up out there. And then anybody that comes in uh, the parking lot that are, you know, just community and whatnot, we'll just offer them a little something, you know, just show love, show God's love in a practical way. Very simple. Do what we can to encourage people. So come on out. We'll have a good time. Yes, ma'am. And how did that go? It was hamburgers and hot dogs. Oh, man. And they don't get hamburgers very often. <laughs> they really did love them. Now, did y'all cook them out on a grill or did they do them there? They cooked them out on the grill. Nice. Nice. And then we had ice cream for dessert. Oh, man. I bet y'all had a big time. Did you save us some? They Wonderful. <laughs> That's great. Anybody else? Uh, just an everyday miracle or something God's up to? Beautiful things that are happening? Yeah, Melissa, go ahead. Um, I, I got um, kind of blindsided by some warfare last week and um, let it get the best better of me for days, unfortunately. Um, and then yesterday, I was still struggling. Um, instead of faithing it to make it, I was faking it to make it. And um, Raise a Hallelujah had been playing in a continuous loop in my head. And finally, I started singing along with it in my head, and all of a sudden, the cloud left, my smile was back, um, I'm, part of last week was some bad drug reactions that didn't help the situation any, um, and I'm still, my body is still equilibrating after being off the medications, um, but it, in spite of feeling ucky, my smile is back and I'm back. And the spirit's back in me full force. There you go. That's great. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. That uh, fog of war can be rough. It can be rough. <laughs> so that helped you break through some of that, you mean? That... No, I started Wednesday night. I Right. Oh, got you. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, don't blame Bill. He just, he just, he just the messenger. So <laughs> that's beautiful. Somebody else? Somebody? Anybody else have something God's up to or what? What's happening? Yes, ma'am, darling. And good to see you. Been praying for you. Good there you are. And that's what I wanted to say. I just wanted to thank everyone who prayed for me. It was kind of a, a surprise vacation, as I had commented, at uh, Seton Northwest Hospital in Austin. Uh, and I'm not going to stretch the story out, but I had been previously uh, had thoughts of fasting and that I needed to be fasting, but I wasn't sure why or for, you know, Lord, do you really want me to or should I just do it? Yeah. And then I end up in the hospital with a bowel obstruction, which they said was due to scar tissue from a previous from previous surgeries. And um, so they decided to check me in for bowel rest. And it turned out, you know, I could have no food or water um, for at least 24 hours. That's in this situation that was required as part of that. You know, you don't put anything through your your gut. So, um, but and there was pain. You know, and of course they uh, gave me stuff for the pain. But um, during that time, I took advantage of it and spent time with the Lord, um, and it was amazing. I, it was 
it was just incredible. And my my prayer request was that I wouldn't have to have surgery because they had assured me that if things didn't work out right, that that the surgeon was on standby and they were ready, you know, to go in and have to detach that scar tissue and whatever. And so at the time I was also reading a book, had been reading a book by Darlene Bishop called Your Life Follows Your Words. And so I was almost done with it and I was able to finish it there. And in the process, it they wanted to know if I wanted to stay another night. And I was challenged by the Lord to declare the victory. Even though I still had some pain, you know, things had started to, to work out and um I just said, no, I'm going home. You know, this is done. I'm, I'm over with this. And it was just um, such a learning experience for me and a challenge to be able to stand on the fact that, that you know, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm uh, preserved and protected and whole in his name. So that was a great deal. And that was the beginning of a bunch of other stuff that God's really working on. So thanks. We've talked a lot in here about the power of words and, you know, Scripture in Romans 4, God who calls those things that be not as though they are. And that's, there is power in that. And I think the Lord has given us, the Lord has given us so many tools in the Scripture that, you know, uh, J.R. Ruiz, he was a pastor friend of mine in Albuquerque, and he used to say this, he says, the word works, but you have to work the word. And uh, so it's, it's a tool that we have and it's powerful. Praying the word, speaking the word, declaring the word is a powerful thing. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad you took that tool and you put it into operation. And uh, here you are. None the worse for wear, right? And you got to fast. <laughs> well, uh, there's a book called God's Chosen Fast. I don't know if you chose this one, but you got to fast either way. So anyway, all right. Yeah, yeah, Brenda. Just a quick hallelujah. Today is uh, Mark's one year that Dylan is out of prison and free. So it's our first anniversary. It's good to see him too, Sunday. It's good to see him. Wonderful. Wonderful. Let's pray as we get started. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm not going to try to overrun tonight because I really want to get us out at a good hour and get home, start our holiday. So let's pray together and we'll hit the ground running. Father, we are before you, sons and daughters, and we are so grateful for your goodness. Thank you for how you show up in various ways, even throughout the day, to let us know that you're here and that you're near. And uh, even today, just over and over, just your presence and various little things. It wasn't even the big stuff. It's little things where it was just, just shoulder taps, as Max calls it, shoulder taps from God saying, I'm here. So thank you. For others, it's been more than that. It's been more epic than that and more significant in Darlene's case, especially in how you showed up in the midst of a crisis and, uh, and in the midst of that, your teaching and leading. Father, we turn our hearts to you right now and we posture ourselves as disciples, as students, as learners, as followers, as pupils. We say, Lord, continue to teach us so that we may teach others. Because that's our heart, Lord, to be equipped so that we can do the work of the ministry that you've called us to. I thank you for every person here. Every person here has, has various calls on their lives. They have various grace gifts on their lives. And Father, it is our heart and our goal together to get everybody running in their lane. Get them running the race that you have chosen for them. And in the call and in the lane they're supposed to be in. So would you grant us wisdom and grace as a church family as we continue to find our way and find our lane. And I just speak that over, over this family even here tonight. Find your lane. Find your way. And Father, I thank you that your word says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by you. And you delight in their way. You delight in every detail of our lives. So thank you, Lord, that you're helping us to find our lane. And um, so I'm grateful for that tonight. Tonight, as we look at this on spiritual family and church life, give us grace as we lean in to understand and go beyond what we've ever known to say, Lord, stretch us, grow us, open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we'll truly hear, 
in our heart that we will literally know by experience the truth that makes us free. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. We're in chapter 7 of the Purple Book, so if you have it, go ahead and jump to there and turn to there and you can follow along. I'm going to stick with it again and I'll try to let you know as we go uh, where that's at. And so, always want to keep this before us. I do want you to get your eyes on this. I had a good visit with Pastor Sam Gonzalez this week and uh, Mario, and then I had lunch today with Jeffrey Richter. Jeffrey preached at... at um, at Crown Ridge this last weekend. He is our missionary to Burkina Faso in Africa, and they are now going to be stateside permanently because it has gotten so dangerous. They've had over 400 and something deaths, uh, and even 14 Westerners have been killed, kidnapped. It's been terrible as Islam continues to make its way across Africa. It's really, so it's created an atmosphere where the Americans and the Westerners, ministers, are having to leave the country they can't stay and so they can't go back but they they've seen hundreds of churches planted he said it's terrible to think that we can't go back he said but those churches are thriving and it's typical that in the midst of persecution and hardship churches don't decline they actually thrive and God has a way, and we see that in the book of Acts, when the dispersion came in Acts chapter 3 and 4, that as, as the hammer came down and tried to disperse them, remember the little thing about mercury, it was like hitting mercury, and just the gospel went everywhere. And so, I don't want to be caught sitting still waiting for persecution to be sent out. I'd rather just go now. Say, Lord, let's, let's just go. I'm, you don't have to person. We don't have to do that. Let's just go. Let's get, let's get it and done. So this is what the Harvest Visions, really, it's about that. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. By the way, the word witness, you know, how do you, you know, what do you do is, you know, you answer the questions. The word is martyrion, which means martyr. It it's, means literally giving your life for the gospel. You will be my witnesses. You will be my martyrs. Do you feel encouraged right now? <laughs> How to what? If you'll Google, here's a way to find a Greek word if you want to do this. It's very simple. If you'll type in the word you want, so, so martyr, just type in martyr, and then say Greek translation, and it'll pull up about 17,000 <laughs> offerings there. So that's Google for you. So very easily can find that. Blue Letter Bible is an online, online study Bible that you can get translations done through that and also a lot of other study helps. Uh, Crossway, crossway.com is another great resource for online commentaries, Greek interlinears, all of that. It's amazing what they've made available online where now uh, you can find so many things. Yes, Vines, uh, New Testament, Old Testament words. I love Vines. One of my favorites, actually. Uh, when I'm doing word study, Vines is one of my go-tos. And so Vines is also available for free online. All these resources are online. So um, my problem is if all of y'all go start studying it, I'm not going to look nearly as smart as I do right now. So it's going to, you're going to throw me into a, a hard place. I'm just kidding. I want you to study. I want you to dive in. I want us to be good Bereans. And so the idea there is that we'll be witnesses, we'll be martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. And then there's our four Ds, discover, develop, deploy, and I uh, love that last one, disrupt in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, uh, so we're hitting the ground running tonight, chapter 7. I love this word, spiritual family. This means a lot to me because of my own heritage and history. And so we're going to talk about this tonight. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll define it, and I'm going to go to the next... Uh, Look, slide. Here we go. There we go. Did I get that right? There we go. Sorry, I'm doing I'm multitasking here. So uh, this is that quote from John Eldridge. We read it last time we were together. You must understand an important distinction. There is Christianity, and then there is church culture. They are not the same. Let me just pause there. When I was in Abilene, I remember people would come up to us and they'd say, we so love this church. We love the worship. We love the preaching. We love the people. And I would say, and I'd have to take a step back and say, let's make sure you love Jesus first. Because here's the thing, and this is a true ism, a Pastor Jimmy ism. If you love Jesus, you'll love the bride. 
But not everybody who loves the bride loves Jesus. It doesn't necessarily work both ways. And so we always want to direct people because here's what happens. When people come into a church setting, we're talking about the church tonight, inevitably the Lord is going to orchestrate your offense. Now let me repeat that. The Lord uses family, both natural and spiritual, to sharpen us. Nothing humbles us more than being married. Nothing humbles us more than having children. Can I get an amen? Whose prayer life went up when you had kids? I'm just saying. Nothing drives us to the throne and to the foot of the cross like having a family and children. We're never more challenged than we are in our own family in marriage where you are called upon to die daily. Am I right? We think marriage was designed to make us happy. It's actually to make us holy. And God uses marriage to knock off the edges, to sharpen us. And it's, it can be brutal sometimes. And that sounds terrible, but it's just the truth. Now, spiritual family is the same way. So if you go into a church with a very Pollyanna mentality, thinking, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then the first time you get hurt, you get offended. Somebody doesn't say hi to you. Temperature's too warm on a, on a, you know, August day, which we got August coming. We're in a metal building, folks. And, uh, or, or we're getting our new sound system set in place. The rest of it, we've got half of it. We're getting the other half done next week. By the way, we're not meeting next week because of that. So we'll, they'll be working like, you know, there'll be worker bees in here. So we'll not meet next Wednesday. But once that's done, we'll spend weeks adjusting, tweaking, and if we are offendable, we'll say, oh, that doesn't sound good. I thought we just got a new sound system, or that's too loud, or that's hurting my ears. So we have to learn that where we need the most grace is in our home with our own family, but also with our spiritual family. It's the same principle. And so I believe that the Lord orchestrates offense for us because he is teaching us. The Lord is much more concerned about our character than he is our comfort and convenience. Can I get an amen? amen? And so he will orchestrate because we say we want to grow, and we say we want to be more like Jesus. I just want to look like Jesus. We sing songs like that all the time, but do you understand that Jesus had to learn obedience through the things he suffered? Do you realize if the Son of Man... One of the three of the Trinity had to learn obedience through suffering. How much more do you think we have to learn obedience? So the Lord brings people into our lives that we get frustrated by, we lose our patience with, and they are like sandpaper. Or, remember real chalkboards, fingernails on a chalkboard? Some of you just got the shivers when I said that, because you remember that. And that stays with you, doesn't it? It just made me get goosebumps. But the thing is that the Lord, will love, he loves you so much, he won't leave you where you're at. He will actually bring people into your life to shape you. And to, so yeah, I'm beating a dead horse there. We all know that by, we know it by experience. But let's fall in love with Jesus. And then we can accept and embrace the bride and what the bride has to teach us. Because the church is here to teach us, to equip us. But that doesn't mean it's always fun. It doesn't mean it's always easy. One story, and then we'll move on. When Annette and I were very newly married, we were invited. Um, uh, we were in a very large church in Lubbock, huge mega church. And we were just having a ball. We were having the time of our lives. And in our minds, this was the perfect church. We had come out of our denomination, and we had enjoyed some freedom. We were out from under some of that religious stuff, and we were enjoying for the first time freedom in worship preaching and it was just that church in our eyes because it was new and fresh could do no wrong until one day they invited me I got word they said Jimmy we understand you were a youth minister we love you and Annette we would like to interview you if you're interested in being our high school student pastor and this was like their their student ministry was a big as big as most churches in this town and I was like, oh my gosh, what a great experience. So I went through the interview process with them. And then uh, they took us out to eat. They wined and dined us. It was like, this is going to happen. This is amazing. And then nothing. 
nothing. I mean, no phone call. And then I would try to call them, and I couldn't even get through to anybody. I'm like, what just happened? It turned out that somebody in the congregation, Annette was working for Caldwell Banker Realtors there, and they, and they would oftentimes, they would work with a lot of different people in that. It was a, one of the biggest producers in the United States in the Caldwell Banker system, Rick Canop Realtors there. And it was very successful, very fast-paced. And someone uh, had said that Annette may have been having a questionable relationship with a male in there, in that business because they all knew Rick Canop was one of the elders of the church and just it was just it was a horrible lie from the pit of hell and when we found and they wouldn't tell us why they just shut us off and so there was no communication we were just ignored so I scheduled a a meeting with the pastor now what I didn't know I wasn't getting the pastor I was getting the pastor and about 15 people and we walked they led us back through the catacombs me and Annette and I mean, we, this is a huge church. And I mean, we were going into the inner sanctum. I mean, we were going through, it was just to get to that office. We sat in this conference room, very formal. We sat and all these men walked in in suits and sat down. And I, here's the deal though. I knew the truth. And when you stand on the truth, you can stand in confidence, not arrogance, not rebellion. And I just I literally went there with these men and, and called them out on what had happened and how it had been handled. And you know what? They apologized. They repented. Now, I didn't get the job. And here's another thing. We didn't leave the church. We were crushed. We were devastated. It was humiliating. And I remember weeks and weeks later, we continued. And they had Sunday night church. Anybody remember that? So we went, man, we went because we were loving it. We were eating it Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. We, were, we, we never missed. And the pastor walked, and he never did this because it was a mega church, so he would get like escorted out the side door and you'd never see him. He came down on a Sunday evening and came right up to Annette and I. He said, can I talk to you all for just a minute while we're standing there? We said, yes, pastor. And he said, I want to commend you for not quitting. He said, anybody else would have left out of offense and out of hurt. And he said, but you didn't. And he said, I just want to say thank you for not quitting. And you know what that did for us? It set a precedent in our lives that as followers of Jesus, we were not going to be the ones to, to quit. We're not going to be the ones who would run at the first hint of offense or the first hint of a breakdown or we just weren't going to be runners. And that set a precedent in our lives. I'm so grateful we didn't run. We wanted to. Our flesh was hurt. We were damaged. It hurt, our, it hurt us. And we wanted to run. But here's the thing. At least the Lord gave us the presence of mind to realize the church didn't hurt us. The bride of Jesus is gentle. Now, those who represent the bride of Jesus isn't all, aren't always so gentle. Right? Because we're people. We're in the people world, the people business, if you will, to use that term. And people are going to be people. Human beings being human sometimes, right? And so anyway, I just want to encourage you in that because I, my heart for you, and just like I would tell people in Abilene, I'm like, I'm glad you like the church, but let's get you connected to Jesus because we're going to let you down. I used to tell people straight up, we will offend you. The Lord will make sure of it. And that will test you. It will shape you. It will be an opportunity for you to, and the Lord's tests are not A, B, C, D, and F. They are, they are pass or fail. <laughs> and if you don't pass, guess what? You get to take it again the next place you go. Have you ever noticed that? That people get offended and leave a church. They go down the road and guess what happens again? It's almost an identical scenario. Why is that? Because God loves them so much that he's trying to get them to get through that, work through that, grow through that, and literally grow up so that they become unoffendable. And when you get to that place, you just realize people are people and stuff happens, and it happens everywhere, right here, believe it or not, right here. You're going to get let down. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get offended. And let me tell you something. It's not always the devil. I've rebuked God many times thinking it was the devil. You know what I'm saying? 
And it turns out the Lord was doing things because he was shaping me. He was doing things in me. And, you know, I don't say, yay, me. It's, it's hard. Those are rough days. But I'm telling you, if we will respond well, we grow. And the next time that thing comes along, it's not a mountain anymore. It's just a speed bump. And pretty soon, it's not even that. It's like, blip, blip, did we run over something? I didn't even notice that. Because you grow up. Wouldn't you want to be in a church, and don't you want to be a church of grown-ups? Amen? So, here it is. He says this. There's, a, there's Christianity, then there's the church culture. They're not the same. Often they are far from the same. The personality conveyed through much of Christian culture is not the personality of Jesus, but of the people in charge of that particular franchise. Tragically, the world looks at funny hats or big hair, gold thrones and purple curtains, and we've all seen that stuff, stained glass or fog machines, and assumes this is what Jesus must be like. But as we grow up and we mature, we get to show them a different, a different look. We get to show them a different face. You know, I love technology. I love, I love, I'm nerdy that way. I like, I'm glad that we have all that. But if we didn't, if we didn't, if all this went away, would everybody leave? Could we do this if we didn't have all this stuff? This stuff to me is an accessory, not a necessity. And so we treat it as such and we value it in that order. We're thankful for what we have, but if we didn't have it, would we still be able to preach the gospel? I figure if Peter could stand on the steps and preach to thousands of people and they all hear him, I figure we could do that here. You know what I'm saying? And so I just want us to lean into and not get, become dependent on this stuff. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were doing transparencies. Remember that? It wasn't that long ago. How many of you ever, we have any transparency turners in here? I mean, that was a hard job, wasn't it? Keeping all that straight. And then they would melt, you know, and they'd start to smell funny. I mean, it just, or a fly would land on the screen and <laughs> there it is, you know. I mean, just funny stuff, but it wasn't that long ago. So it's not that we have to have this. We hope it helps in our teaching mode, but, but just know it's not all about the stuff. Amen. All right, Acts 2.42, as we start on this, listen to this. And they, we've studied this and covered this, they, the new believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You see what's happening here? They had began to get traction and they were beginning to move and work. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Does this sound like some good things were happening there? That's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, they were meeting every day. Now, we always have to translate, translate things into culture. We always have to say, would that even be possible here? We have jobs, and there's various things. There are various things that allow for these kinds of things. So the mistake would be to try to take that and turn it into a template for today. What we do is we read it and we extract things out of it that speak to us and we understand the dynamic because it's more the spirit of the law than the letter of the law in these things. So to do this would sound like, I don't even see how that could physically, logistically happen. And we understand that. But in our maturity, we go, okay, this is that. But here's what we can learn from that and here's how we grow out of that and through it. So Peter preached the very first sermon of the New Testament church. He called his listeners to repent, this is in Acts chapter 2, to be baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, he called him the gift, the promise of the Father, the gift. All who responded were then added to the local body of believers, called the church. Everyone who is saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit today should also become part of a church, a local community of believers. That sounds very elementary, but we need to people to know there's a progression here. 
There is a, a way to do this. I remember me as a brand new follower of Jesus. I was like going to the, to the pastor or the staff, and I was like, what do I do next? I was that kid that didn't know church. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't understand anything we were doing. So I was the kid going to the pastor and, you know, hey, pastor, um, what do I do next? He says, well, what have you done? I went, well, I got baptized and I'm doing the survival kit for new Christians because <laughs> I was reading through it. And he said, you're doing great. He goes, you want to get in the word, get in the Bible. How do I do that? I mean, I, that's how, what do I do? Where do I start? Genesis? Oh, don't do that, son. Okay. No. Start in the book of John. You know, that would help me. But I was just that kid that was just, I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow, but I needed help. I needed somebody to show me the ropes. And thank goodness a guy named Steve came along and sort of just took me and several guys, all of our, we were all the same age, under his wing and just began to teach us and begin to disciple us and walk us through. And I just needed a track to run on. I needed a place to go. So listen to this. He says this. He says, why? Because we were not made to live the Christian life alone. It would be awesome if we could do this by ourselves, right? Wouldn't you want to just move up into Colorado somewhere and live in the mountains all by yourself? And, and just you and Jesus, right? Am I the only one who's had those dreams? <laughs> just me and Jesus and the mountains and, and no bears, but I'll take the deer, the elk, but... You know, that mentality of just me and Jesus got a great thing going on, but we were not made to do this alone. He created us to be dependent and interdependent. We were not meant to follow God by ourselves. As you'll discover, the early church did everything in community. How do we grow larger? Anybody remember what I said? We grow smaller. To grow larger, we need to grow smaller. That means we need to find community within small groups. This is a group. This is, we find community here. I love it that we get here. A lot of you get here early. And what do we do? We talk. We visit. We catch up. How's it going? What's going on? And then sometimes, well, not great. Oh, what's going on in your life? Well, we need to pray about that. Afterwards, when we dismiss, not everybody just bolts out the door. I joke about three and a half years ago when I came here and I would get up and host the service and I would be up here and I'd, I'd kind of finish out what Max or Randy was doing and I would pray and I'd hear movement while I'm praying. But I wasn't going to open my eyes, right? I'm praying. And I would open my eyes and half the church was gone. It was like they couldn't get out those doors fast enough. I was like, okay, something's not right here. That's not my idea of church. It's like, let's hang out until Russ has to start flicking lights to get us out of here. You know what I mean? That's, how do we fellowship? Now we do. Now it's like, hey, please go home. We're hungry. You know, we, let's eat. Or let's just go eat together. So they did things in community. They didn't just meet together once a week. They shared life together. That's what I love about my life group, my small group. Uh, even through the summer, we've got a group me app, and Melissa's been blowing it up lately because she's been, she's having a hard time. But you know what's beautiful about that? She had a way to get us uh, uh, mobilized to pray. So she would, you know, let us know what's, what's going on. And she has 15 people praying for her right then. That's, and even though we're not meeting through the summer, we're still staying connected through the summer. And then we'll get back together in, you know, in the middle of August or end of August, and we'll pick right back up. But it won't be like we're strangers. We see each other here, but we've stayed in touch. We're doing things in community. Uh, we went to the, the play at the theater, uh, Sound of Music, and it was wonderful. And I saw so many people, and I saw Pam up in the booth. I didn't even know she was working it. She's up in the booth. And then I see Pat, and I see... Uh, uh, Macy, and I see Haley, and I'm like, we have, our people are all over this thing, and it was so cool. We saw family, it's community, hanging out together, doing life together, outside these church walls, and being a light. It says, um, they shared life together, they taught one another, encouraged one another, and met each other's needs. They spent time together. Just as God determines our parents and other family members, he has also chosen the spiritual family that we were born into. Let me say something about that that's real critical for you to understand. When I was a young pastor and somebody left the church, I would chase them. And unfortunately, because I was young and very immature, it was usually because I wanted to know if I did something wrong. Because in my insecurity, I wanted to know if I messed up. 
That sounded noble because it sounds like, oh, you wants to correct himself. No, I was just, I was just needy. And I needed to know, did I do something wrong? As I got older and began to mature and grow, I began to realize that it's God who places people in the body. You need to hear this. God places people into the body, just what that said. Come on, girl. And me too, from Nashville, right here. Air dropped us right in the middle of this thing. There you go. You know what? You know what's beautiful about that, Miss Charlene, is that when you know God has moved you somewhere, no one can chase you out. That's right, because you know God placed you here. You know what's beautiful about that is when the wind blows, a fence comes, or there's a miscommunication, whatever happens, life happens, drama happens in churches, believe it or not. Drama happens in churches. I know, shock and all. Shock and all. Say it isn't so. It happens, and so the, but the thing is, is you won't be moved. But somebody else will be four ch churches down the road, and they'll get hurt and wounded in every one of them. And unfortunately, we've created that in our world in the last 50, 60, 70 years. We've created that culture. But what's beautiful, when somebody knows God's placed them in a body, they're there because God brought them there. Not because somebody talked them into it, manipulated them, controlled. They're there because they know God called them there. And I'm telling you, that's the core. That's the remnant. Okay. Mm. There you go. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. You don't have to say, well, I got offended or hurt. Or those people, you know, all those people turned against me. You know, it's just so tragic what we see. And a lot of that's just immaturity. It's just imma just people are not able to handle emotionally things. That's beautiful. And you don't have to run from people at HEB because you will see somebody you know. I play a game now. I count when I go in. I do. I just started counting. One night it was eight people recently. It was awesome. It was like a family reunion. And then, you know, they've been changing everything up there. And then uh, the other night we went on Sunday night late thinking, okay, we'll dash in, dash out. We saw three people Sunday night. It's like, yeah, we're, it's just the way it is. And that's okay. And so you're going to see people. And, and I saw people, went to High's Cafe over here. I met with Jeffrey Rector, one of our one of our missionaries from Burkina Faso from Oak Hills. And we met for lunch up there. And, uh, and I thought, I'm at High's Cafe in comfort. I'm safe. And nobody, sure enough, a whole family walked in that I know. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Hi, everybody. Uh, so it's just the way it is. And uh, that's good, though. So, but when you know you're, you're called and you know you've been placed, so I don't chase people anymore. And you know what the Lord recently showed me? Somebody had left and my feelings, I was pouty. I was just pouting about it. This didn't, I loved them. Hurt my feelings. And as I was thinking about it and praying about it and found out later that when, when asked why they left, they didn't know. I was like, you don't know? You mean you're not mad? I'm not mad at all just felt like God was moving us. Well, what do I do there? I should go, oh, oh, let me bless that. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in their lives. And then the Lord spoke to me in the middle of something. He said to me very clearly, he said, why do you always think pruning has to be painful? You know, in my eyes, I always thought pruning, I pictured a bunch of guys up in Abilene on one of those hillsides out by Buffalo Gap with chainsaws and front-end loaders tearing up mount, those mountain cedars out there. That's pruning to me. That's, you're going to prune the hillside. I mean, you're going in there and just devastation. And the Lord reminded me that he's a, he's a vine dresser. He's a tender vine dresser. He's not, up, he's not in here with a machete and a hacksaw. But I know in my church experience, we've had this mentality that pruning is always painful. Pruning is always hard. And the Lord's reminding me, Jimmy, I am moving people to other churches because I'm also bringing people here that are lost. And I'm making room for harvest. 
So I've just like took my hands off of it and I did what John Eldridge calls a benevolent detachment. And that's where you take a pause, a God pause, and you say, Lord, I let go of everyone and everything. And you let it go. Now I have to do that about 90 times a day. Because it's kind of take as needed like medicine. You know, so I'm just like, Lord, I let go of everyone and everything. And I'm telling you the calm, the peace, and the reminder that the Lord is placing people in the body of Christ all over our community. And he's moving things around, moving folks around. Met two new families here this Sunday, and they were just like, we're so excited to be here. We heard. I'm like, you heard already? It doesn't take long. I figured out in Frederick for people to hear stuff. You know what I mean? And I, yeah, we heard. We're so excited. And I'm like, okay. Well, God calls you here. And this is what I tell people. If God has called you here, come on. But if you're not called here, let's help you find your place. Because if you're in the place where God has placed you, you're going to be happy about it. You're going to be excited about it. But if you're not, you're going to be toxic eventually. Oh, you know. No. Do you know how many lost people live in Fredericksburg? Way more than all of our churches combined could contain. And that means there's room. And we need to reach the lost. Amen? We need to be reaching people and not just shuffling the, the chairs on the deck and moving a herd from here to here. We need to be reaching people with the gospel. When I'm preaching and I get to preach at uh, Crown Ridge, I think it's... August 11th, I'll be doing, and I'm preaching, the title of the message is The Go in Gospel. The Go in Gospel. The first two letters of the gospel are go. And I'm going to be, it's all about the, the harvest, our harvest mandate, so to speak. So listen to this. He has no, the church is God's instrument for advancing his kingdom. He has no plan B. Did you know that? It's so easy to think, I just want to be an internet pastor. I'm just going to live on social media. I'm going to pastor people from a distance. And so, no, 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 that's not the church of Jesus Christ. That's, that's plan Z. That's not going to work. And I'm not saying you, you can't minister to people and be a source of encouragement. I do what I can to be that. But that's not my church. The church is the only legitimate setting for living the Christian life. No long-term lone ranger can be a true disciple of Christ. All who truly desire to follow Christ must find their place in a church family. I meet people all the time who I love, I have a feel of kinship with, and I find out, and I say, well, where do you fellowship? Where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Me and Jesus, you know, we do our own thing. And I'm like, you're not benefiting anything. Because well, here's the deal. The church isn't about me. The church is about people that are coming in here who need to be mentored, need to be discipled, need to be equipped. It's not about what I can get out of it. It's what can I give into it to help people who are coming to Christ, to help people who are immature in their faith. They may be 70 years old, but still immature in their faith because they've never grown. They've never been discipled. You do know you can be a Christian 50 years and still be a baby, right? And so that's our responsibility. So my heart is this, and I find these lone rangers, and there's a lot of them in every community I've ever been in, and they love Jesus, and they're passionate, and they listen to about 50 online pastors, because with a click of a button, you get the best preaching in the world on an ongoing basis. There you go. Glad to help. And, and yet, they're not actually in the life of a body where they're contributing and giving and being shaped by the value of that. And so that saddens me. And uh, it's almost, um, I'm too superior to be in a church. You know, I'm kind of above that. And I've met people in Fredericksburg like that. And it's scary. He has no plan B. So listen to this. No long-term lone ranger can be a true disciple. All who truly desire to follow Christ must find their place in a church family. What did Jesus say about his victorious church? Matthew 16, 18. He says this about the church. And I tell you, you are Peter. Remember that, that encounter? Jesus calls Peter out. And he says, and on this rock, that word Peter is Petros, and it means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's saying, I'm going to build on the rock. And the gates of hell, there's no way the gates of hell will prevail against the church. 
No way. I have stood on that promise myself as a pastor for, on behalf of our church that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Uh, number two, if you're following along, number two is this. Who is the rock? 1 Corinthians 10.4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. This is Paul teaching. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Number three, who's the chief cornerstone? Remember this verse, Ephesians 2.20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. I'm about the church is built on it. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Do you start to see a pattern here that Jesus is the center of this all? When we were planted one of our little churches, uh, I had a big banner made and it said it it's all about Jesus. That became our, that's all we said. It's all about Jesus. People, well, what kind of church are you? It's all about Jesus. No, I mean, what did not, it's all about Jesus. I mean, we're a broken record. It's all about Jesus. We're a gospelized, gospel-centric, Jesus-centric church. And we beat that drum. What were the first church members devoted to? And we've, we've covered this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And, he, and then the, the lesson asks, comment on the generosity of the early church. Look at this in Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Isn't it beautiful when you see the church doing that? operating that way. So I, I'm not going to say who because it's too fresh and too soon, but let's just say a friend of mine, a friend of mine preached recently, and he preached in a church where he wasn't the pastor, and he made a comment about his truck, and he made a great metaphor, illustration about how his truck, he had just taken it to a mechanic. The mechanic said, this truck's on its last leg. He said, that's fine. I'll drive it until she dies. I love this truck. I'm going to keep driving it. He said, but what he found himself doing is whenever he would go to the gas pump, he would only put like half a tank of gas in it because his mind was, when this thing dies, I don't want to have a full tank of gas in here. So he just got in the habit of filling it up halfway. But he made a great connection about how many Christians live their lives that way. We don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to be bold and audacious because we think the bottom's about to drop out. So I'm just only going to give half of my life away. I'm going to kind of take keep this because in anything could happen. Oh, I'm in this church, but I might get hurt, so I'm just going to go in halfway. I'm not going to give my all. And we do that in our lives. Well, he made that. It's a great message and all that. And, and he brought me out, and he goes, I got to show you something. So he walks me out in the, in the street, and, and I, there's this incredibly gorgeous black Dodge or Chrysler truck, Dodge Ram truck, with a Hemi engine in it. And he goes, guess what? And I said, well, he goes, look what God did. And somebody in that congregation saw that he needed a new vehicle. And they met him at the, at the dealership on Monday, and they bought him a truck. And it wasn't just, it's a Hemi. I'm just telling you, this is a bad-to-the-bone truck. When God does it, you see, God's name is El Shaddai, not El Chipo. Amen? You know? He's God Almighty. He's the God of more than enough. Not the God of just enough. He's the God of more than enough. That's the God we serve. And it's not all about material stuff and all that. But, but this guy said, I, I didn't tell that story to get anything. I told the story because it was a metaphor for how we live our lives. But somebody in the church, somebody in the body felt the Lord prompted them to be a blessing. And they took care of that family. Isn't that beautiful? I, mean, I told him, man, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's not happened to me yet. So it's awesome. So look at that. A full number of those who believe one heart and soul. No one said any belonged to his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, dunamis, power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Can you just sense the atmosphere of what's going on there? There was great grace. There was an atmosphere of growth, an atmosphere of God working. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that is amazing. I was 
told about a church that, um, this was up in the Abilene area, that one Sunday, uh, instead of, um, they took, they received the offering, they, they passed everything, and then they, he did a message, and what he did, he had the counters go back and pull all the cash out, just the cash, not the checks or anything, but all the cash. And then they had planned to add several thousand dollars to that in cash. And they took all the cash and they put it in a, in a little tray kind of thing. And as he began to preach his message about, you know, the church serving people and making a difference, he, um, they brought that tray out and set it on the, on the table. Remember how the, a lot of times the communion tables have that on it be a little smaller version of that. And he said it on there, and he said, all right, he said, whoever has a need, come get what you need. And at first, nobody moved. You know, is this a trick? You know, is there a camera in here somewhere? Because, I mean, it's just so unusual. And then one by one, people began to get up because there were people in need in this church. And uh, by the time, you know, not all the money was gone, it, but he said that it was a remarkable that once people knew it wasn't a trick or a setup, that people who genuinely had need, and he goes, you know what? They didn't come. They didn't grab the whole thing. There weren't kids up there just scooping up money. He said, they were like, I need to pay my rent. I need to, and he said, that's not something we can do all the time. He goes, but we could do it one time. And they did it, and it was very impactful. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, what was the aftermath of that? And he goes, our giving went up. Because I didn't plan for that, but people begin to realize, oh my gosh, if this is what how we're going to steward money and, and be a resource, then I want to give to that. And he said, our, our offerings increased after that. Isn't that amazing? Beautiful, beautiful expression. And, and uh, just in the spirit of, of the early church. Listen to this and we're going to land the plane. So again, Acts 4, 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who, had all, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, remember Barnabas? Son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so again, somebody who had a resource said, I want to be a blessing. And so he did that. And of course, we know Barnabas, the son of encouragement, later was, was out with Paul uh, doing missions. Uh, lesson two, we'll just cover a couple of these. What does Paul call the people of God? And we're talking about the body of Christ here. In 1227, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. The Bible says the church is the body of Christ and that each person is like a different part of the body with something unique to offer. That's why belonging to a church community is such a vital part of following Jesus. When we go it alone, we're not only hurting ourselves, we're hurting the body of Christ. It's like cutting off a finger or pulling out an eye. And I'm going to end on that. And I'll just, one quick commentary. Uh, we used to teach a class um, that we called uh, VLI. It was called Victory Life Institute. And we'd take people through a two-year course. A two-year deep dive discipleship hardcore course. What was beautiful, the people that lasted for two years through VLI, we had various instructors. I wasn't the only one. We had several because it became part of our culture. Those that went through that, many of them were called to ministry or missions, and they found that call through that course. But I remember teaching about the body of Christ and about this idea of people going it alone and meeting these lone rangers. We had them in Abilene, just every, everywhere I've been. And I remember telling this simple metaphor or illustration. I said, you know, I said, if you were to look at your spouse and remember, you know, when you were married and you were young and y'all were both in love with, you know, and appearances were a big deal. And you see, you know, that your wife has beautiful blue eyes and you just remember back to when y'all met and, you know, get everybody feeling sappy. And then I, I said, can you imagine? I, I said, how beautiful are those eyes? And they're like, oh, it's amazing. Somebody said, oh, my wife's eyes are still beautiful, Pastor. You know, it was just a neat moment. And I said, well, how would that eye look if somebody was to go pluck it out of her head and throw it down on the ground? It's the same eye. But now it's detached from the body. I said, how does that eye look now? And they're all going, eh, gross, you know. Yeah, it's grotesque. 
Because that eye was never meant to be by itself. It was never meant to be detached from the body. Because God has uniquely designed the human body to function together as a unit. And when one part of the body doesn't function, you know what we call that? Dysfunctional. And so, I was encouraging our people, when you don't show up because you just don't feel like it that day, you know, what would happen if I didn't feel like it that day? What would happen if Russ decided, man, I'm really tired, and it's raining. God, that's, the sound of rain on my windows just makes me want to go back to sleep. You know, what, what would that be like? The body would be rendered what? Dysfunctional. And the last thing we want are a bunch of eyeballs laying out throughout the city. <laughs> it did t that's gross, isn't it? But you'll remember it, Amy. That's the point. You'll remember it. We don't want a bunch of body parts laying around. We want a body that's functional and alive and beautiful and functioning in the perfection in which it was created to function. Do we not? You know what that means? That means you may think you're not important. You may think you don't matter. But let me just say something about small body appendages. Have you ever stubbed your pinky toe in the middle of the night? Do you think that pinky toe matters? I'm telling you, that could be the most painful thing I'll ever happen in your life. And it's the smallest appendage. It matters, and you matter, and we need you. And when you're not here, we're dysfunctional. We can't do it without you. We don't want to do it without you. Does that make sense? Jerry, you got something? Yeah, before you close us out here, this um, coming September, Judy and I will be married 60 years. And when we first got married, she thought she was a Christian. She was raised in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, went through catechism, and at the end of it, they said, you are now a Christian. I was going to a Bible church, and it was until nine years after we had first been married that she actually stepped over the line and accepted Christ as her Savior. And we've been talking a lot lately about how much we love each other more now than we did when we first got married back in 1959 because she is now a part of the body, I am too, and we are growing in our knowledge of him, so everything is much better, and we're just praying that we keep on going. So, Beautiful. thanks. Beautiful, that's awesome, 60 years. Yeah, ever learning, ever growing. We never stop, right? That's what's so beautiful. It's inexhaustible. Let's pray together. Why don't you stand, stretch your legs. We'll pray. We'll be dismissed. Remember, we won't meet next Wednesday night because hopefully they'll have things torn apart in here. So getting things done. So it's going to be neat when we come back next a week from Sunday. And, um, and so if you do get a chance, come see us. We're going to be here tomorrow evening about 8 o'clock. We'll watch fireworks, have a good time, and just fellowship and hang out and uh, do life together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the call that you put on our lives to connect with a local body of believers and that we have friendships, we have fellowship, we have kinship, we have family that we can do life with, laugh with, cry with, pray with, pray for, be prayed for, and we can help one another on this journey called life. Um, I'm noticing that the world just seems to be losing its ever-loving mind these days. And I need my church family more than ever. I need the stability that they provide, the anchor that they are. And uh, I need it. I need them. Um, and I, I'm thankful for our church family here. Would you help us, Lord, to continue to grow up into all things in Christ? to grow up together and to not be flighty and to not be so offendable, but to learn that, that this growth, this journey together, is, it's going to be, they're going to have days of pain. There's going to be days when it hurts, and yet it's a part of the process. Give us grace to lean into that and to say, thank you, Lord, that you're growing us, that you're shaping us, you're developing us, you're cultivating us. And we'll lean into it by faith and we will grow and we'll look up one day and we'll be light years ahead of where we were and didn't even realize we had grown. So I pray for my friends and my family. Tomorrow, for our friends and family that are traveling, Lord, I pray for safety and protection over them. And for those that are playing with fireworks and all that, Lord, safety and protection, Lord. And Father, for us here tomorrow night, just having a good time together, just bless our fellowship. 
And Father, I pray for opportunities to, in some small way, do an act of kindness for maybe people who will come in and sit in our parking lot and watch the show. Oh, we love you and thank you for your word and the truth. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen and amen. We love you. Thank you.